This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Backstage with a gone and grace. Tales from the stands to the batter's cage. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Phillies Backstage. Tom Burgoyne, along with John Brazier, and the man, a legend w, from WIP. I am a legend. <laughs> John, you know what? Isn't that funny? I we, broke down. I, I was like, when Howard comes here, I'm not going to call him a legend. I'm not going to call him a king. And there I went. I, I called him. I, Howard, I, I don't so know what got into me. you can call you, me. Some of them you can call me, and some of them you can't use that language. But, you know, I, I actually tell people when they see me, Troy Aikman has called me a legend. I said, no, Troy. No, no, no. You're in the Hall of Fame. You were the quarterback. I'm just the guy. But uh, you know what? In, You'll take in it. In this area, yeah, I'll take it. Howard, I, I know the answer, but tell the people. I know you, Tom, you want to go into different things. Yeah. How did you get the, the nickname The King? I, I know the answer, but tell okay. the audience how you got the You know, people nickname. think, first of all, it's, it's, it is fraudulent to give yourself your own nickname. Right. Yes. For instance, LaFraud James is not the king. It's not <laughs> King James because he right. gave himself the name. Right. Joe DeCamera of WIP gave himself <laughs> his own nickname. That's fraudulent. So there was, a, I was just doing a, a radio, talk radio, and there was a TV guy from Channel 3 that did a story on me. And during the story, and I think he did it a couple of times, he called me the king of sports talkers. Uh, whether it was Philadelphia, I don't know whether he said Philadelphia, but the king of sports talkers. I walked in the locker room the next day, and it was at the vet. This is 1982. It's before I went into TV. I walk in the locker room, and when you walk in, and, and you guys probably remember, when you walk through the door, the first locker you see is Pete Rose. It was right next to the trainer's room. So I walk in, and it's the first thing he said to me. He says, the king. You're the king. And then everybody starts calling me the king. And when Harry Callis calls me the king, then you know. Right. It's, you it's got a official. stamp of it's approval. Official. It's yeah. official. How, how was it covering Pete? Did you know him yes, well I when did. you were covering him? I did know him. Uh, and um, he was great to me. I know people have had some challenges and some issues with him. Great to me. He was great to my, uh, my son, the son now that's uh, – well, he was the, or he still is the program director, brand manager in New York, who's coming back to WIP. Uh, his name on the air is Spike. That's not the name I gave him. But, uh, and he always called him Pee Wee. So whenever I see Pete, you know, I'll come in for a card show and there's a bunch of guys there I like to say hello to. He says, how's Pee Wee doing? He always called him because he knew him as a little kid. Yep. Uh, so he was always nice to him. He was nice to me. I bet uh, Baron Larry Shank, who's yeah. our longtime PR guy, loved Pete Rose. Yes, said Pete was great. Yep, you know to work with. Um, Did you ever cover a guy too who had such recall of plays? I mean, that's what people always talk uh, about. He was like, he knew. I mean, he knew a lot, and because he's he's always been aware. Uh, but 
Yeah, every time that, you know, I don't know how I developed. It was a friendship after a while. I don't know how the, the friendship developed, but it did. And Pete was always great with me. If I ever needed him to do anything, it was great. I remember we flew over to when he was with Montreal. Was it Montreal? Uh, I guess it was Montreal. We flew over to Fort Lauderdale. I, wasn't, I took my son to spring training. So we flew over to Fort Lauderdale just to see Pete for whatever reason. He was playing whoever, whatever team was there at that time. We went over to see Pete, and then we flew back after the game. Yeah. So uh, just, but uh, he was great. And the, uh, uh, there's a lot of things that um, he he helped me with and did for me. I went to Montreal when he was going to get his 4,000th hit. He was in Montreal. And I'm in the first space box because I took, I got a cameraman. I was at Channel 3 at the time. And take him over there. And the the, the 4,000th hit went to the coach, Billy DeMars, who worked with him very closely on his, you know, okay. hitting and all the that. The ball did. Yeah, mm-hmm. the ball went to, yep. the 4,000th hit went to Billy DeMars. But he told me if he got another hit as he came by, 4,001 is going to He didn't get another hit. <sighs> and he almost got a hit, and he comes over. We knew it was his last at bat. He said, I tried. So it was kind of cool. But here's another uh, uh, quirk of fate or whatever you want to call it. I'm sitting in the stands in the third baseline, and he gets a base hit. I forget which one it was. It was um, – I think it was four one five six. Okay, four one five six, and he gets a base hit, and I follow the ball. Now they throw out balls every pitch. You know these pitchers are babies, but they throw out balls every pitch. But that ball, I kept my eye on it. He got a hit. I kept my eye on it. Stayed in the game. The ball stayed in the game. Don't you know the next batter hit a foul ball and I caught it? Really? No. Yes. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> so That's I have incredible. that ball and I got Pete to sign it. Now, you, now you've gotten close to a lot of you know different athletes in Philadelphia, and I know one of the ones you're particularly close to is Charles Barkley. Yes. How did that uh, relationship start? I'm, well, Charles, you know, got along with everybody. He's one of the life of the parties. Yeah, yeah. Well, you guys know that I go to all these games and I go to locker rooms and I talk to players. That's how you get to know guys and. You know, and occasionally guys will give you information and what's going on. And, and you talk to them about more than just the sport. And that really, that's how you get friendly with a guy. They, and they talk about sports all the time. For instance, I see Mike Trout at the Eagles games. And his father was a big fan. And I'm sure Mike was growing up. But his father is, said he's always been a big fan. And I always talk to him when he's at the Eagles games because he sits on the field there. Never talk about baseball. Mm-hmm. Never. We always talk about other things, never about baseball. And that's what I do with players. So the first year, Barkley's a rookie, and he listened to me on the radio, and I killed, always killed Jerry Tarkanian, the coach formerly UNLV. of UNLV. The towel. Yeah, who was a you know a cheater and all that kind of stuff. And I thought he was kind of a phony, and I ripped him, but he liked Tark. Tark was the nickname of Jerry Tarkanian. So one time he said to me, he says, I heard you're ripping Tark. And got to know each other a little bit. I says, yeah, I think he's a fraud. And he says, well, are you going to rip me like that? I says, I'll tell you this. If you don't play both ends of the court, I'm going to rip your ass. (laughs) (laughs) You probably love that. uh, Yeah. But we're kind of the same being outspoken. So we got to be really good friends and shared a lot of stories, stories that I can't tell stories that I can tell, uh, but a lot of great, a lot of great stories and a lot of great moments. And Charles is one of the nicest people 
in in the world. He's and he's not cheap like a lot of like Michael Jordan might be the cheapest athlete that I've ever seen. The cheapest. Mm. All right. You know, he goes out and plays golf. He says to the caddy, you want a tip or you want my autograph? How about giving them both? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then at dinner one time when uh, Michael was playing uh, baseball in the Winter League. So I went out. The Eagles were playing there that week. So I went out the whole week and stayed with Barkley and went to the games. And that's where I met Terry Francona, who was the manager of that team. So because we sat in the dugout in the Arizona Fall League, nobody cares. Uh, So we go out to dinner. It was like seven of us. And it was Jordan, it was Barkley, Roy Green, who used to be a wide receiver with the Eagles, out there. And at the end of the meal, Michael says, you're picking up the check. I says, man, wait a minute. How many millions of dollars are you making and you want me to pick up the check? So I picked up the check rather than create a scene. Mm, So I picked up the check. But I just see the way he he was with money. But but Charles is so, I mean, I've seen him at the casino. And I literally saw him, and I counted the $1,000 chips when I've been at the Borgata with him. $29,000 in mm. tips. Oh, my <laughs> in gosh. tips. Charles, like Bridget Floyd, you go in, and he's buying everybody rounds. Yeah, right. I mean, Char- it's crazy. Charles is the best. We, so this is a story from probably about, man, how long ago? It was probably 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Uh, Charles was out in Phoenix. The team had just flown into Phoenix, and Larry Anderson said, hey, let's go out and grab a beer. We literally just flown in, got put our, our bags in the hotel. So we go to this, uh, it's like a Sunday night, we go to this bar, just me and L.A., and Charles, or we sit down, and, and L.A. says, is that Charles right there? There's like six people at the bar. <laughs> he's by himself, <laughs> yep. and he's sitting at the bar, right? And I, we can only see from behind us. And I don't know. I don't know if he's, he looks, he doesn't look that big. So I went up to him, and all of a sudden, I looked to the side. It's Charles. I said, hey, Charles, John Bridge, we met a couple times, but I got LA, uh, Larry Anderson back here. We just flew in. He said, oh, man, let me join you guys. So next thing you know, he comes back, and he says, hey, I've always wanted to meet Ryan Howard, right? So I text Ryan. I said, Get over here. We're at this bar, but you know, two seconds away from the hotel. What city were you in? Uh, Phoenix. We're Phoenix. in Scottsdale. So okay. next thing you know, uh, I think Jimmy, Shane, you know, uh, we got the whole, like half the team <laughs> coming in. Next thing you know, Charles like, I'm taking you to my club. So next thing you know, we all go down like to some club he owns, right? Down in downtown Scottsdale. And they're, the Diamondbacks are in line to get into this nightclub. I guess it's really popular. And we go in with Charles, like, you know, eight guys on the team. We're going, all these guys are like, hey, wait, what? this is our town, man. We can't even get in. And Charles like. <laughs> Charles got it. He is oh, the I, best. I, I love that guy. And I'll tell you. Uh, I've been out with them when there might be two of us or four of us. And by the end of the night, there's 16 to 20 people there. Yeah, right. He buys them all drinks, yep. yes. takes care of everything. And they all, th- and they all walk away saying that, you know, thinking that Charles is their best friend. Yeah. yeah. That's what oh, kind yeah. of guy he is. Very much like Jason Kelsey, right? I mean, yeah. there's, there's authentic. Yeah. Jason Kelsey uh, is authentic. Very he's authentic. He's a great guy. Yes. And, and I don't great. know if he's as generous, but he is generous right. in terms of charities and those kind of things. But I know Charles right. is very, very generous. Howard, how many nights... Do you spend the night at home watching Netflix or something? Because you're out all you mentioned. You said you're out all the time. Sixers, Flyers, Eagles, Phillies, right? How many nights a year do you think you're yeah, and literally has, at home? Has your schedule doing changed nothing? much since you uh, stopped with the Monday through Friday regular shift? No, or? because I, I still go to things every day, right. and the Eagles season's over. That was a that was a grinding season because the travel was as bad as it's ever been. When I say bad, they played the NFC West, so we go west. They changed games to night games, and it's, we got back from Seattle at 7 in the morning. We got back from Tampa, the last playoff right. game. It's snowing hard, and it's 4 in the morning, so you got to clean off your car and then go home. You know, it, it's just – but 
to watch movies, my son from L.A. who does movie stuff for Disney, he's actually a manager out there, works with all the actors, but he set up Netflix for me, and I didn't even know. I said, can you tell me how you set this up? Because I don't even know how to get on Netflix. <laughs> I, I don't have time. You know, I have, uh, I have Xfinity or Comcast, whatever you want to call it, because out of respect, uh, because I'm friends with Brian Roberts, he's a great guy, yep. I kept Comcast. And then I have DirecTV. Uh, so I get the best of both worlds. And so I have a lot of stuff. I watch Law and Order a lot. That's what I watch a lot. It's, it, it's I, a good I'm one. Crazy. I'm it's crazy. a classic. I'm crazy. I just watch Law and Order. <laughs> I want to be, I want to have some kind of role on my bucket list. I'll be uh, a homeless person. I'll be a rapist. I don't care in the, you know, obviously in the, yeah, in, right. the in the, Right. The, the show, yeah, the yes. show. I'll do anything. That'd be cool. I know. Everything but a corpse. You don't want to be a corpse on one uh, of those shows. No, as long as you can see my face. <laughs> I say I'm so so you're, when you're going home and you have nothing going on, there's no Sixers Flyers, are you watching other sports or are you watching Law & Order? Um, I look I look for movies on, um, I have like, DirecTV has like six HBO, or actually might have be nine or ten HBO channels. I look and see if anything. I'll tell you a movie that I've seen three times in the last week. Hmm. Uh, what is it? Uh, what's it? The one with uh, Mickelson and uh, Tom Cruise. Uh, oh, a few good a men. Few good yeah. men. A few good men. Yeah. And, yeah. and I always <laughs> wait for the scene. Oh, yeah. The scene. You can't and, handle, can't the, handle and the you truth. And you know what's crazy? <laughs> I looked at that movie. I said, well, uh, I've met Tom Cruise at a fight. All right. Wow. Uh, Mickelson I've had on the air with me during the uh, 76ers playoffs with the Lakers huh. in the 80s. And he's been to Phillies games because he's friends with a guy oh, yeah. uh, who uh, he's played golf that day. So he sat near where I was sitting in the Diamond Club. So I went up to say hello to him there. So I met him. The guy that was the corporal that killed himself because he didn't want to go to court and talk about. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Mick, Mickelson. Uh, he was in another, he was in Blue Mark, Chips. Markison. Markison. Markison whatever, yeah. Yeah. He was in the movie Blue Chips. So I went up and did a piece. They met with media, you know, to yeah, promote yeah, the yeah. movie. Oh, wow. Uh, that was the one with Shaq. So I met him. How about Demi Moore? Come on. Uh, did you ever meet her? Never met Demi Moore. <sighs> and I met Kevin Bacon at Disney World of oh, all places. There you go. <laughs> Has there been a celebrity that you've been intimidated by? Like you were basically like, oh man, you uh, got to be somebody that you were a little intimidated. Uh, I don't know whether you're. You know, I, once you meet Muhammad Ali, and right. I met him multiple times, and had him on the air, did an interview with him when he was still fighting. Right. Uh, he, was the, he was the greatest. Uh, so, I'm trying to think, was there anybody that I was... No, because covering sports, it's like you meet Muhammad Ali, you meet Jordan, um, and I knew, I didn't know Muhammad Ali, but I met him multiple times, and then Jordan, I knew, and he knew me, he actually got me into a card game. Because he wanted to bust my, you know what, mm. um, and it was like a hundred dollars buy-in on the hand. I said, "What am I doing in this poker?" <laughs> right. So after four hands, I said, "Hey, I know you want my money. I'm out. I'm out." <laughs> <laughs> the Muhammad Ali uh, interview was that. How did that come about? And how'd that go? Were, were you a little nervous going into that? No, or, it was uh, on radio. Okay, okay, and that was on. The FM station I was on before WIP, WWDB, okay. mm -hmm. which is how Taylor Swift's father got to know me because he was a fan of mine too. So we became friends in the early 90s. But whatever, it was that station and a woman named Mary Mason who used to work radio here for the FM station or the AM station of that station was friends with Muhammad Ali. Mm. So um, it's crazy. So she set it up. He was 
working out at Deer Lake, where he used to work out yeah. in Pennsylvania. Right. She set it up. He was on for like 25 minutes. Yeah. It was, it was awesome, I would, huh? Back then, we didn't save tapes. I was going to ask you was about cassette that. tapes. It was, it was just unbelievable. But there's been a lot of moments like that. But I can't, I can't think of anybody that I've been intimidated by. Um, because meeting all these people. Yeah, yeah if you meet a Muhammad Ali, it's... That's you know, the, it's yeah. nice to meet people. I mean... Uh, I'll tell you a couple of fascinating and I think great stories. Before an Eagles game, we're on the sidelines and Bradley Cooper walks up to me. He says, Howard Bradley Cooper. I said, come on, hold on, man. Wait, wait, wait. I says, I know who you are. How do you know who I am? He says, come on, man. I listened to you and watched you while I was growing up. Right. I grew yeah. up in Rye, of course. Right. Will Smith, the same thing. Michael St- and, and, and Bradley Cooper, when I see him, my son's in the business and did one of his movies. He was pissed he didn't say hello. So he says, uh, how's your, he always asks me how my son's doing, which is great. I saw him just uh, towards the end of the Eagles season. He doesn't come down to the field anymore, but he came down to take a picture with somebody. And we were talking for a little while. And then he had a birthday, so I sent him a text to wish him a happy birthday. But, but he was a big, I could tell, because he used to rattle off things I used to do. Uh, Michael, this is how, when you do things, and by the way, I'll let you guys know before the release is out. I'm the commencement speaker at a college in Wilmington, and I'm going to get an honorary doctorate. So after May, you guys. Dr. Eskin. Uh, no. Dr. Uh, Eskin. Eskin. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, is it Dr. King Eskin? Still, or is you it, can't say that's better king. than king. You can't say. But in the United States, I'll be a doctor. Overseas, I'll be a king. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, just come so, to the Phillies game so, in London. Uh, Howard will mistake but, you. Whatever. You know, you don't know, and this is one of the things that I'll, I'll say, when you work and people see you work. I mean, there's people on ESPN that were interns for me. There's people that are very, very uh, successful in the business that were interns for mm-hmm. me. Michael Strahan comes up to me at it's 2002 Super Bowl, the Giants were in, after the, they have the media stuff with the players in the morning. And he sees me, he says, comes up to me, he says, I know you. I said, no, I don't know how you know me. I says, how do you know me? He says, I'm a sportscaster in Philadelphia. He says, that's it. I had a home in the Poconos, and I always watched you on hmm, Channel yeah, 3. There it is. So you don't know. And the yeah, fact that he remembered me, Kiefer Sutherland, huh. saw me in the Flyers, uh, the Broad Street Bully documentary on HBO. And just so happened he was at a Flyers game. I walked into the suite, the Comcast suite that he was at. He says, Howard Eskin. I said, okay, how do you know me? I said, I just see him because he's a big yeah. hockey fan because they're from Canada. He and his dad are from Montreal. So he saw me, but he remembered me mm. out of the documentary. So the impact that I have on people, and you just do what you do. So whatever happens, happens. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. John and I have been on a roll, Howard, uh, in terms of bringing in uh, uh, sports uh, casters and writers. We had Ray Dittinger in two weeks ago. And what's so great is when, like Ray, Jason Stark, guys who are from Philly, and you're from Philly. So 
We love this idea. John and I are both Philly. We're sitting right now uh, looking at a snow-covered baseball field. It's like the coolest thing to be here. We just, we love it. So, you know, when you were a kid, did you ever picture yourself doing this? And where do you think this love of sports really began for you? Well, I have to say my father, and before he passed, um, uh, had dementia, but he could still remember certain things. And he, when he retired, he bought a home about three miles from the ballpark. Yeah, I remember he used to take him down to Clearwater. Yeah, right. So he, he used to take us as kids right. down every year. Mm. So he bought a home down there. So he was living down there. And when I went down, the Eagles were down there. My sister brought him over to the hotel. And he made a point. He says, and he was proud of it. He says, I know it's probably helped that you're in the business that he was such a sports fan. He had season tickets. We went to a lot of games before he had season tickets. Front, He had seats behind the dugout uh, at the vet. Uh, they still kept the seats here at Citizens Bank Park. Uh, he had front row seats at the Sixers. So, you know, all these things, he said, you know, uh, I'm sure it helped that I was a big sports fan. So I guess, you know, I w- kids are into sports, a lot of kids. And uh, nowadays, it's then it wasn't computers and cell phones and all that and other nonsense uh worrying about social media which is not social and it's not media but uh other than that uh, I, I guess it really had to be my father mm-hmm. and then I always wanted to get in sports and I didn't care what I did in sports uh but first I had to get in the radio and I got in the radio and then as an engineer right to start. as an engineer I was spinning records I was a production engineer I worked in Washington I've been in the White House when there wasn't all that, I walked through the White House because they didn't even bother stopping me because after I did an interview with somebody on the second floor for uh, the, the classical station that I work for, I didn't do the interview. The person did it. I recorded it. Um, I'm walking around. And I walk out the side entrance. I wish I'd have kept that pass. I walk back to the front gate and I said, you guys want this pass back? <laughs> and they took it back. Yeah. Uh, but uh, as a kid, but, though, but, but, the, but the whole thing is I was an engineer first and I yep. was spinning records for guys at FIL and the one person, uh, I was working radio, that pushed me into television. I worked with both Jim O'Brien and George Michael, if people in Philadelphia yeah, 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 sure. remember those guys. And Jim uh, kind of pushed me into TV. He told me a year before I got the offer from Channel 3 and I never worked TV. Uh, he says, you should be in TV. I said, nah, I don't think I'm ready for TV. I wasn't comfortable with it. So then when Channel 3 called me, I said, I don't think I'm going to take the job. I know they want me, but I never worked TV. He said, if you don't take the job, I'm going to kick your ass. So uh, that was Jim O'Brien. And, and then mm. George was big. And George put me on the air when I came back from the Phillies game. And they were doing stuff on the air. And it's just, you know, I just rattled things off. And it just, and Jim heard that. And it just, that one thing led to another. And, yeah. and it just, and then I worked my way up. Uh, I went made a dollar sixty cents dollar sixty cents an hour at my second radio station ever in Atlantic City. I didn't care because I got a fifty dollar gift certificate for a delicatessen down there <laughs> each week. But you know, this is the kind of thing. So you yeah, just yeah. work your way up and you just do what you do. And one thing led to another, and just working hard. It just who knows. I never applied for a TV job in my life. Mm. Never. Uh, Channel Three called me because they wanted a guy that was outspoken and broke stories, and I did that. Then, um, ch- uh, so Channel 3 wanted me. Channel 29, when they started their 10 o'clock news in 86, they got in touch with me, and I ended up being the first anchor they hired. Then uh, I was making too much money, and they said, okay, so I went back to radio. Then Channel 10, 
had me work. Then Channel 3 had me come back and do mornings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I never applied for any of those jobs. Mm. Howard, um, going back to radio, um, WIP, the advent of WIP, sports radio, um, were we the first market as far as that was sports? Uh, I mean, obviously every city has it now, but like just hardcore sports, opinionated, talking head type sports radio. Are we one of the first or? One of the first. All right. So here's the thing. In, um, in 1986, the general manager at WIP, which was Metro Media at the time, uh, kn- knowing I was doing a 10 o'clock news, said, I want to turn this station, this guy's name was Mike Craven, into a sports station, all sports. So would you do afternoons to start it? And they did other pieces and they still had other people on the air doing music and news and all that. So I said, yeah, sure. So I did that August 29th, 1986, the first sports talk show on WIP. And in the country, it was one of the first, but we didn't go full time until probably like 88-ish and six to eight months before WFAN in New York went full time. So I did it before FAN went sports, but we weren't full time. We weren't all sports. So, I mean, it's just, and then I was lucky enough um, part of my, if you, I, I don't like the word legacy either. I did the first sports talk show on WIP FM. Okay. 94. Right. One. Yeah. When, when they went to 94. Right. One. Yep. Did you, when you started in 86 there, Howard, and you had had, you know, this experience, um, reporting, but when you went to be, you know, a, a guy who has to have an opinion rather than just reporting the news. Did you go in with that mindset that, hey, I've got to be, have a strong opinion if I want people to listen to me? I uh, Was there a calculation in terms of I, I'm going to be not conf- confrontational, but, uh, you know, a little harsh or whatever, like persona, did that develop or did you have a kind of a mindset that you wanted to, to Okay, start here's that? the way that happened. When I was working at WWDB, which was 96.5 on the FM station at that time, and I did a show from 6 to 8 at night, and I, it was a full-time job. And when I did the show, and the, I was nice to people. Right? That's not my nature. Uh, it is my nature, but it's not on the air. Right. You, you know what right. I'm saying. People think I'm a, I'll just use the word jerk, but if they get to know me, I'm just a regular guy who's got strong opinions. About three months in, the program director said, if you have an opinion, and you don't agree with somebody. The guy's name was Jerry Williams. And you don't agree with somebody. It's okay that you say that. So then I got more comfortable in being that way and expressing my opinion that these people didn't have a clue. They didn't have a clue that they didn't have a clue. But And I would become more outward and more outspoken. And then I just, it, it just developed into, but I still... Here's the thing that I always tried to do, which talk radio is different today's world. I tried to be accurate and then also have the opinion. Yeah. Nowadays, you don't have to be. (laughs) It's terrible to say this, but they don't care whether they're accurate. They just roll it out there. And that's just the way talk radio is. It's it's evolved into that. But I at least try to be accurate. I talk to people by coming to games, talk to coaches, coaches. Eagles coaches, I try to find out what's going on, what's really going on. And, and I, I always try to do that. But I'm still going to have a strong opinion. I was of the opinion that Nick Seriani should come back, uh, although there was a mission by WIP to get him fired. Uh, and I'll say that, and I've said that on the air. Uh, it, it's just, you, know, you got to know what really was going on. But 
nonetheless, I try to be informed. I think you can entertain and inform. I don't know which one's first. Yeah. I think you can do both if you try. But that's not the way the business well, works. And the model now. changed a little yeah. bit because, again, you were the, you said you're the first show, right? And you went TV radio or radio TV radio, and then a lot of the guys back then. I did. I had four jobs at one time right. too, by the way. So, but a lot of guys back then, like Angela Cataldi and Al Morgani, mm-hmm. they were uh, and Glenn McNeil, they were newspapers. Then they went into radio, right? And you kind of did almost the. Yeah, not the opposite. So were you looking at them with any, uh, was there any, I don't know, uh, did you have an opinion knowing, knowing they're coming from newspapers? No. Not? No. I, I, just no a different opinion. angle? Yeah, it's a different way to look at it. And then they did what was called on WIP, the morning sports page, and they alternated who was on. Right. Uh, I think it was like three times a week, something like that. So no, I I didn't have any any jealousy, anything. I mean, it's just, it's, it's who they just, were. Yes, and it's just part of the background. station. Well, I think what's different with you, Howard, was you were still a reporter, still breaking stories. You're, uh, you know, informed. And yet the other side of it, you, you have the strong opinions. So it's, was, was it tough going into locker rooms every once in a while? Cause you're doing the story, but yet you're, you know, uh, still okay. have your strong opinion. Okay. <laughs> were you ever nervous going well, into the I'll, locker I'll give you, I'll start off, which wasn't the first time. I mean, John Denny, he was, before he was a Philly, I oh. uh, was in the other locker room, St. Louis. But that wasn't the real, that wasn't the real thing. I guess it was um, Jim Fergosi at first because he was brutal with the, may he rest in peace, he was brutal with the media, just brutal. And uh, I, I forget how it started. Oh, I know how it started. He, he demeaned the people at WIP and the listeners at WIP. And one of the writers because we used to have separate um, media uh, situations with the manager. So one of the writers told me about it. So I'm just driving along one morning and I'm on the air on another show. And I just mention it all hell broke loose. I mean, because of what he said. Right. And you know, back then I didn't think it was a big deal. Now it would be a big, a bigger well, deal. Yeah. Special media. Oh yeah. So <laughs> they called me in. Um, uh, well, actually Jim Fricosi was going to meet with people. So he met with people and said he never said that, which was a lie. And, and, and that started off the ball rolling. Actually, what started it, when I reported in spring training that he was trying to get Nick Lave's job, which he ended up getting 16 games into the season. And I reported it in spring training. And he went off on me. All right. Well, I, my story was correct. I know what he was trying to do. And he did it in Toronto later with the manager up there. But... Whatever the case, so we didn't talk for a while. People were calling the Phillies and they're just ripping them. So finally, I told you I'd meet with the guy. I told Dave Montgomery, who you know I was friends with Dave. I said, I'm, I'll sit down with the guy and we'll talk this out and I'll explain where I'm coming. So finally, after a couple months, Larry Shank calls me. He says, can you come in and meet with Fergosi? We're getting pounded by these people. So he went in his office for about 40 to 45 minutes. Media was waiting outside the door thought there was going to be, I was going to walk out bloodied. Uh, we told each other what we didn't like about each other. But your point to your question is I'm always willing to meet with people. Yeah, so, so then I'll get to Mitch Williams. Uh, I said on the air when he was looking for a new contract and three years now is nothing. I said, I wouldn't give Mitch Williams a three year contract because guys that throw hard like that can lose it just like that. He basically lost it the second year. That's when they lost the World Series. So, but they had already signed him. So, this is before that World Series came. 
And I said it on the air, so he comes up to me, he locked me, he says, hey, you. I said, now Mitch and I are friends. What do you, I, I, I got a name. Because I was in, Fergo, in the manager's office. I don't know if it was Fergosi or not. And I came out. He says, hey, you, I have a name. He says, I don't like what you're saying on the air. I said, why don't you tell me what you heard? I'll tell you whether I said it. And then if I did, I'll tell you why I said it. He says, no, I just want to punch you in the, use the word F and mouth. Right. Okay. I said, I'll tell you what, why don't we step outside? And that's because I knew he wouldn't do it. <laughs> no, I can't do that. You'll just get a lot of money. So that's not. just get a lot of money. <laughs> so then, then I ripped him in the paper because I wrote for the Daily News at one time too. I did a column three days, a, like a rumor and stories column, three days a week. And I ripped him on why I didn't think. He always put men on base. The next night, he lost to the Pittsburgh Pirates. It was a 2 nothing lead. He walked two guys. And both those guys scored, and the third guy is scored. And he said to Dave Hollins, oh, boy, Howard Eskin's going to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> well, well that, was a tough, that was a tough locker room exactly. anyway. That 93 team was opinionated too, Howard. So, you know. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, then, obviously, we, we got to mention Charlie, because that was oh, almost yeah. a, oh, yeah. a fight in Mark the club. Boy. I've been grown up. <laughs> Charlie's, oh. I just, but, you know, I had my opinion about Charlie's, he's great guy. We get along, we laugh about it now. The greatest guy ever. Uh, come on, Harry. Right, you're the only guy to ever pick a fight on, with Charlie. I'm going to tell you a story. He's a saint. I'm going to tell you a story that Billy Wagner told me, and he should be in the Hall of Fame. That's a disgrace. Yeah, he'll be in this year. Totally yeah, Okay, but he should be in. Yep. So, he's coming in from the bullpen. Charlie finally was able to pull off a double switch. He wasn't really good at double switches. That's why Jimmy Williams uh, was there too. Um, so he wasn't able to pull off a. So he pulled off the double switch. He went to the umpire, told him what he was doing, and then he walked back to the dugout. So Billy Wagner comes. You know, he called the guy in from the bullpen. Billy Wagner comes in, and Charlie's in the dugout. You know how the manager takes the ball from one pitcher, gives it to the other pitcher. So I forget who the other pitcher was. So Billy Wagner told me the story. He said, I, I came in and there was the manager wasn't there. Charlie wasn't there. So he told the pitcher, just give me the bleeping ball. Uh, and, and he said, Charlie wasn't out there. Where was Charlie? <laughs> Charlie wasn't out there. So I, I, Charlie and I get along great now. And we laugh about that. He said, and one of the other things he just said to me, he says, I should drop you right here. Nice. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I, I hate to say it, Howard, but I, he's a big man. I would, my money would be on, would be on Charlie. But I still remember the whole sequence in the news conference. And then he invited me because the team sucked at the beginning of the year. And I just saw Lou Pinella go off on his Chicago Cub team. And I oh. thought in my mind, I'm thinking, you got to be tough mm. like these guys. They, they, they were going through the motions. So in the news conference, he says, you don't think I'm tough enough? Why don't you step into my office? So, so he walks <laughs> one way and the media walks the other way and he's waiting for me in his office. And that uh, PR guy, which was Greg at the yeah, time, yeah. Uh, standing outside. And he says, you coming in? He says, yeah, I'm coming in. And I said, Greg, you can come in too. And then Davey Lopes was there and Milt Thompson was there. And this was what set him off. I know a guy from Channel 10 recorded it outside the door. He had the audio. I don't know if he ever saved it. And 
we were going back and forth. And he says, you've been killing me for three years. And I had to think quickly because it was early in his third season. And I, I, I processed it real quick. And I said, you've been here for three years? He said, and he exploded. Came running around the desk. <laughs> Milt Thompson grabbed him. Man, <laughs> he wasn't going to hit me. I said, I've had enough. It's not me. It's it made for good video, there. though. All right. How about, how about others? Now, that's a Philly stuff. How about content? There had to have been some contentious situations in the Eagles locker room. Four Sixers. Uh, there was one time when Alshon Jeffrey was a, uh, and he didn't do anything. When Alshon Jeffrey was a, uh, uh, a source, and I knew it, and everybody in the Eagles knew it about Carson Wentz. So I said it on the air. He never came. I, you have to go in there the next day. He didn't do a thing. Uh, old players, I'll give you a story. It goes back years ago. And the head of communications for the Eagles now was an intern back then. Randall Cunningham was a quarterback, and we're waiting in the locker room for Randall. It's after a short Monday practice or whatever. And I'm just waiting there. And, and then one guy walks in, and uh, it was Bill Johnson, a defensive lineman. Great guy. And he says, what do you think of this team? You really want to know what I think of this team? They were 0-5. You suck. <laughs> all right? You suck. I said, I grew up with a coach by the name of Jerry Williams who had a horrible Eagles team. You're worse than that team. <laughs> and then there was a wide receiver that they got from San Diego the Chargers, who was like two lockers away. I says, you see that guy over there? I have as many catches as him. Oh. Zero. Jeez. Oh, oh. <laughs> so, what did that guy do? Nothing. He just stood there because he had no Jeff Graham. Yeah, they're no 0-5. Yeah. You mentioned Randall. <laughs> Howard, I remember we, we were at the vet. It was a Monday night. Uh, Phillies were done. It was Andre a Monday Waters game. wanted to kick my ass, by the way. Andre, well, <laughs> he wants to kick everybody. But, yeah, but. but I remember it was after a Phillies game. We were watching a Monday night football game. Houston Oilers were playing somebody. It was Warren Moon. And Warren Moon... Uh, two-minute uh, drill wins the game for Houston. You turn to me. He's like, I'm going on the air tomorrow and saying, I'd rather have Warren Moon as my quarterback than Randall Cunningham. I'm like, all right, Howard, go for it. <laughs> who would you have rather had, though? Would you would ra- Who was the better quarterback, Warren Moon or Randall Cunningham? Warren Moon at the time. Randall Cunningham became better when he had better coaching because Buddy Ryan was – Buddy Ryan was – turned out to be a nice guy. He ripped me on his radio show. I ripped – him on my radio show on two different stations. All right. But Buddy Ryan was an idiot. And coaches told me that. It was like a fire drill down there. They didn't had no idea what was going on. But he told them, hey, listen, if you don't see somebody, just run. And, you know, you can't do that. you got to teach him the position. Yeah, yeah. And he became better later in his career. But at the time, Warren Moon was a really great quarterback. But Randall and I had our challenges. Now he's, you know, he's a pastor and reverend or what, you know, whatever he's and he, he's always been nice if i send him a text he'll get back to me it's like uh, that's with a lot of guys yeah. michael vick and i didn't talk for months obviously with the situation with him and then i you know i said so we're walking in the halls over at the complex one time and i i said i finally said all right we, we, we got to talk about this otherwise we're never i'm going to be here longer than you are but so i found an office so let's go in the office. We spoke for about 15 to 20 minutes, told him what I didn't like, the obvious, uh, what he didn't like. And after that, he was good. terrific. If I send him a text now, he'll always get back to how about, me. How about some of the other coaches, like like a um, Rich Mar- Cotite or a Cotite Aaron just, Campbell? or a- Carrie, uh, uh, Cotite just kind of, he never said anything. He really never said anything. He just, he became invisible. Marion Campbell 
when I said on the air one Sunday night on this on the sports show I did on TV that they've got to fire him because the players don't respect him. And he was nice about it. He came up to me the next day at the weekly news conference. He says, why did you say that? I said, Marion, I hate to tell you this, but there's a lot of players in there that don't respect you. And I don't know what you can do about it, but they just don't respect you. Mm-hmm. Um, Dick Vermeil, we are great friends. I'm telling you, he listens to me when I'm on on Saturday mornings. Listens to me. He'll send me a text if he hears something that he can help me with. And But at first, my first day in television... I was seated at the head table of the Maxwell Club Awards. It was a luncheon at that time, and Dick Vermeil was there. It's because it was my first day in TV, September 20th, 1982, which, by the way, I was the lead story on the news because the football players called a strike. It took the fear out of me. My first day in television, first time I've ever gone on the air, and I'm the lead story. It took the fear right wow. out of me. Mm. It was unbe- unbelievable. That that, and what that was, strike, Howard, or was NFL that a strike? Okay. Player strike. Because I know Leonard Toves, you... you no, uh, well, that was, that was another... That was another... Well, that was... Um, yeah, that was that was later. That was later. Uh, that was in January, okay. uh, uh, where Dick Vermeil resigned. But it happened before that. But no, so it was my first day in television. They called a strike, so I'm the lead story. But at that luncheon, before this all happened, Dick Vermeil ripped me a new one. Mm. Oh my God! He because I used to criticize Dick Vermeil on the radio for being too hard on the players, working them too much. And finally, he, and he didn't want to, we did a pregame show together when the games were on channel, the pregame, preseason games were on channel three, and he didn't want to work with me. He did, just didn't want, but right. we worked and got to know each other and he understood what I was doing, but he ripped me a new one. I said, Dick, it's okay. I understand. You know, I have my opinion, you have yours. And that was the end. We moved on. And then after that, it's, I've been over to his house. We've been out to dinner, uh, really. And he invited me to his hall of fame induction you know can you imagine that this guy buried me Mm -hmm. (laughs) buried me and he kind of he was ashamed i think a little ashamed of that but uh, we both laugh about it now howard when i think of the phillies and veteran stadium uh one of the things we were known for under bill giles was the wacky crazy uh promotions yes and uh, frank sullivan our longtime director of promotions i know you knew yeah uh when we, were, I remember when we were clearing out the vet, you know, you're seeing all the black and white photos and, you know, photos of this, that, and, you know, different promotions. You were in a lot of those. Do, do you remember, like, the milking the cow? I think we did I won together. that contest. You won the milking the cow contest? I won the milking the cow How is that possible? You're from Northeast Philly, Howard. Okay, because I, <laughs> like everything else, I research things, yeah. and I do a little background. Nice. And a woman told me, you don't just pull on the udders, you slide the udder between your fingers and just slide it ah, down. you massage it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was that the thrill? Is that the first time you ever uh, Yeah, it's the first time the I ever milked the cow. <laughs> <laughs> That's Everybody hilarious. else is just yanking on those things. <laughs> you also played. You played in the Pals uh, Pal game, game, right? Yep. yep. And yeah, I just, I almost killed Maureen McGovern. Uh, she was playing second base. They had that, what, the Hollywood Stars, I guess, was right. one of the group of people. A line drive at second base, <laughs> and she was going to catch it. Get out, get out of the way. <laughs> and there might not have been a morning after. Uh, oh, look at you, Jack. Well, was was it wasn't Maureen, Ma- no, Maureen McCormick. I'm going to I'm sorry. Uh, okay, yeah, from, I'm from Brady Bunch. Uh, from the Brady Bunch. Maureen McCormick, yeah. who obviously had a crush on when I was a kid, uh, like everybody did. Yeah. Uh, but it, it was funny, and then we met afterwards. I says, I almost killed you. But it was kind of cool, and I played in those games. Um, there was a lot of contests. I was in a a mud wrestling. Huh. Uh, At a Phillies? 
Are you after the Sixers. Sixers. Oh. Is that a Pat Williams special? Pat Williams. <laughs> he always called me Howie. He says, Howie, I want you to, and I wanted to uh, wrestle Steve Fredericks, who was yeah. my competition on right. another station. I said, he's never going to do it. So I said, I'll tell you what, I'll do it. And I picked out a cheerleader if she'll do it. And he conned me into thinking that. It's so like Stripes, John Candy. <laughs> How is that punishment? <laughs> well, wait a minute. They got me. And Dave Montgomery was there. And I hugged him afterwards with all my mud on me. Uh, he was sitting in the first row with John Nash. He was a former yeah. general manager of the Sixers. They were good friends. But so he says, oh, yeah, you're going to uh, mind wrestle. Okay, okay. So I parade around during the game and promote the thing. It was after the game. And I get out there, and there's two women, like 250 pounds each. I said, wait a minute. He pulled the old switcheroo on me. So I had a mud wrestle. These were professional mud wrestlers at bars. So, But I won. And there's a picture in his book, and I've saved it, where I come up out of the mud. (laughs) And I was about 250 pounds myself. You had to pin him down, actually? Like, is that how you won? Uh, (laughs) Did did you also do the Damien Feldman, Damon Feldman uh, boxing, celebrity boxing? Didn't did you never if do I that? I did. I don't remember doing that. I might have. I, th- I thought you fought like somebody like Diego or somebody from. No, I wanted to fight Angelo Cataldi and he bailed out. Okay. <laughs> he, he didn't want to fight me. Tom, I'm thinking that uh. we, we, we got it all wrong, right? Howard's talked about probably about 20 people so far that he ripped and they hated him. Next thing you know, now he's best friends with them, yeah. right? Maybe we're doing something wrong, Tom. Maybe it's we, true. Maybe we need to start ripping our guys and then they'll start loving us well, afterwards. Here's, it Iverson, takes a little time. Iverson was another one right. because at the beginning mm. we were very friendly and then his posse or his boys told him, eh, you don't want to, because Larry Brown was always frustrated that he would come to practice. Uh, the term flu-like symptoms was created for Allen Iverson. Right. Uh, coming to practice for the obvious reasons of late nights yeah. out and doing whatever he Budweiser did. flu. Yeah, well, <laughs> it was probably worse than that. But uh, he needs a note from Epstein's mother. <laughs> none, nonetheless, his boys told him, you got to get away. So he would complain to me when I would say things. And we were adversarial. Now he sees me. When he sees me, when he comes to the games, he hugs me. I love you, man. I love you. You got to let bygones be by. You know what you're doing. He knew I was doing yeah. my job. Yeah. And, and, and I think players appreciate that afterwards. I had a fight with Jason Worth. Well, not a fight. Do you remember what happened with Jason Worth? No, remind okay. me. Okay. I remember that. Now All you're right. going to jog so my Char- memory. Okay. It started with the Charlie night. So I'm on ESPN the next morning because they want me to come on. And Chris McKendry, who was an intern for me, wanted yeah, to interview sure. me. Sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, she does yep. the tennis now. Yep. So I still stay in touch with her. I texted her while she was in Australia doing the- She's a Trexel girl. Yes. She's on the board there now. She played Is tennis right? at Trexel. Yeah. Huh. Yep. So anyway, so- um, so I'm on ESPN, and they asked me, did any of the players in the locker room say anything to you? I said, no, they didn't. But it was Jason Worth's first year. But Jason Worth, who is a marginal major league ball player, stared me down. Uh, so, And I said that. Yeah. Then the Phillies win the division that year. So um, in the locker room, I'm there doing my stuff for TV, and he pours champagne on me, not out of happiness, out of spite. anger. Right. So he poured it on me. He says, marginal major league baseball player? Oh. Marginal major? Oh. I said, you, and he only made like 700000 a year. And at that right. time, that was that was chump change. So uh, I so I said, you waited all year to do that? I says, after this is all over, we got to talk. We talked for about 45 minutes. And we still stay in touch. We're friends now. Right. Just, look see, at that. See, Tom, we're missing out here. <laughs> was, uh, is, was Philadelphia the best market, Howard, that... Uh, 
could support uh, sports talk radio in the early days, keep it going, uh, where you can thrive and you know have a career. When you look back, uh, do, do you have just uh, this feeling like, boy, I'm really blessed to be able to be in this market and have the career I've had? Well, you had four really good teams, especially 1980. Yeah. You know, when they're all in the finals or whatever, uh, or the World Series or whatever it was. So, yeah, you had four. The Flyers were really good at that time. The Sixers were good. Phillies were good. Um, the Eagles were good at that time. Uh, so, you know, all those things, when you look back, uh, it was the perfect time. Now, I didn't. St- I did sports talk on the FM station, which developed into uh, the WIP, and then that's what led to television. So it could thrive in this market. You know, the thing that worked, and I'm lucky that uh, the guy named Mike Craven um, wanted me to do it, that the station was successful, uh, starting with me doing that show, and it led into Ed Snyder buying WIP, Spectacore bought it, and I met with somebody because he wanted to talk to me about whether he should talk Ed Snyder into buying it. So I had some involvement in that. This guy named Mark Camiola, who I knew from WWDB. But uh, so he worked with Snyder. So Snyder bought it. And Snyder's greatest line is, uh, is I bought that radio station and created my own Frankenstein. (laughs) (laughs) It worked, though. So it's like Mike Schmidt saying, we win a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thrill of victory and the... Agony of reading about it the next day. reading about it the next day. (laughs) But a lot lot of people retire in their mid-60s. Here you are, uh, I guess your late 60s, early 70s, and you can do this until... Just remember, you're not old, you're only older. Right. And that's the way I look at it. Right. And And if you still have excitement doing it that's what i'm saying so you love what you do yep right and you could keep doing this for for a for a long time as long as um it's uh, physically it's a physical i don't want to say if it's physical toll because i enjoy being on the sidelines for the eagles game but there's travel and there's the travel but your walk you're standing for like nine hours a day and that's okay and i get my steps in i wear my fitbit and i get my (laughs) steps in. i try to do about 10 miles a day uh so I do all those things and I try to stay healthy is the most important thing we have. And as long as you're healthy, it's good. And that's, that's what I try to do. Uh, It's just, I try to stay healthy and try to eat the right things. I wish I'd have done it all my life. I probably lost close to 400 pounds in my life, in my life. Now it's up and down and up and down. Mm. I'm I'm done now. Uh, I went on intermittent fasting just to lose like maybe eight pounders because my suits were getting tight and that worked. And I, I feel great. I mean, I feel great. I still walk every day. I walk in the rain, the cold, the snow. Have you ever done Dream Week? <clears throat> yes. Did it with my dad. Ah, oh, how long ago? Um, it had to be in the 80s because wow. I did it for television. I did huh. a television piece. I did it with my dad. We got pictures with uh, with him, me, and my son, my oldest son. How'd you play? Did you, were you? I was a stud. Ah, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> what did you think he was going to say, Tom? He Come was on. in the trainer's well, room with all the other guys with torn well, hammies and well, pulled hammies. And- I was a pitcher. When I played baseball in my youth, pitcher, first baseman, third baseman. So, but I had a really strong arm. Uh, so that that's you know. So it, it was fun because I pitched against my dad. I was gonna say that just is 
yeah. magical, huh? Yeah. So the, those kind of things. Who uh, are some of your coaches, uh, like the, the Bobby players Wine, who are Bobby Wine was probably Wine. there. Oh, Tony Taylor. Oh, wait a minute. Well, Bobby Wine. Bobby Wine. But he did this at spring training. Bobby Wine, who could throw hard. Yep. You know, it's a shortstop. He had a great arm. Great arm. So he says, I'm, I'm betting you can't even uh, put the ball. Uh, I don't. I think he said foul the ball off. All right? <laughs> so uh, I said, yeah, I think I can. Uh, I think I can. So so he put me in the cage. This is spring training. Yeah, yeah. Put me in the cage, and the first pitch was at me. Oh, jeez. So he scared. It. And the second pitch, obviously, was a breaking ball. Right. Of course. But I got a little wood on the ball, and it dribbled it? out in front of the play. That's all. Uh, and and that's all Bobby yeah, Bobby's. It what was a great. guy. Yeah, yeah, it was great. And it's just, same thing, John Harbaugh, who's mm. coach, as you know, of the Ravens. Great guy. He's a special team coach of the Eagles, and I'm doing a show at Lehigh, where they used to do their camp. So I said, you know, the, the, the punt... Guy's catching the football. How can guy? I can catch that ball. He says you can. See, in high school, um, my best friend was the punter, and I would snap the ball. But for for the sake of working with him, I would catch his punts. So I could snap the ball. I could catch punts. So I said to Harbaugh, I said I've done this before. Uh, I says so. He puts me out there. He says okay, let's see. So I had somebody else doing the show with me. I walk out. And it's a jugs machine. It doesn't matter what it is. You're still high. and it's still. Yeah. I caught three in a row, spiked the ball. I said, I'm done. I already showed you what I can do. <laughs> and you signed the contract later that day? A regular Louis Giamona. <laughs> uh, yeah. right. Nice reference. Thank you. Number 33, I believe. Yeah. Howard. Quiz are, time, Howard. Are you ready for the quiz? Well, sure. Tom, why don't you introduce the quiz? We have a little music. Oh, yeah. Let's play our theme song. Skip Denneberg. Thanks for the visit. Let's get down to business. Now here's your chance to show how much you really know. He might get grumpy if he can't stop you with Brazier's Quiz. There it is. We even have our own theme song, uh, Howard, for the quiz. Is that amazing? Boy. Isn't that awesome? You guys have gone to no expense. High tech. Yeah. Yeah. Howard, by the way, some lady at uh, Fantasy Camp uh, Bonnie Strang told me that I am the highest ranked nobody she's ever met. So <laughs> I got that going for me. You know what? Which is nice. Can I second that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I have eight questions about your life, multiple choice. Uh, I showed you the T-shirt, the very hard to get backstage with oh, Burgoyne yeah. and Brazier T-shirt, which is very coveted. So hard so, to get, I don't even have one, Howard. Yeah. So you need to get six out of eight. All right. Uh here we go. Um, you ready for the first question? Sure. All right. You went to Northeast High. Correct. Uh, which of these celebrities did not go to Northeast High? So three went to Northeast High. One did not. You got to tell me which did not. Okay. Go ahead. Former Phillies coach and ambassador, Mage McDonald. Uh, Hall of Fame base- basketball player, Guy Rogers. Legendary TV and radio broadcaster and voice of NFL films, John Facenda. And former Major League Baseball player and manager Eddie Stanky, which so, did not who go did to, not yeah, go impressive lineup. Right yeah, there. Mage McDonald, Guy Rogers, John Facenda, Eddie Stanky. I would say John Facenda. John Facenda went to Roman Catholic High. Roman, you are okay. correct. Okay. I didn't know that. I didn't know the other guys went there. Guy Rogers was a gym teacher for me at Wilson Junior High School. Is that right? Yeah. Huh. In wow. the off season, they had to make find a way to make money. Right, and Mage yeah. too. How about I that? I, I, never, yeah. I know Mage lived up. Yeah, in all the, the years. Yeah, I knew he was from Mayfair because he yeah. always said, "I went from welfare to Mayfair." Yeah, but you know what? 
I'm the one that's on the wall of fame at Northeast. There you go. Well, look at that. A wait, wall of fame. Wait, wait. All three of those guys have to be on the wall of fame. Well, I'm You're just telling me telling that Major McDonald, Guy Rogers, and Eddie Stanky yeah. aren't on the wall of fame? I don't know. <laughs> I just know I have. All right. Here we go. You're one for one. All right. Your first start in radio, as we talked about, was working for George Michael on WFIL in 1972. What is George's real last name? Gimple. Oh, I don't even have to give you a moment of choice. You got it. All right. So I was going to say Gimple, Castle, Faulkner, or Bagus. All right. All but right. it's Gimple. All right. Uh, number three, you're two for two. You're close friends with Charles Barkley, as we talked about. Where was he born and raised? Okay. I can give you the answer, but right. go ahead. Go give yeah. me the answer. Uh, Leeds, Alabama. Leeds, Leeds. Alabama, yeah. right? Absolutely. At Starkville, Oxford, Mobile. All right. Here That's we go. That's a layup. What year did 94.1 go from music format to a sports radio format? Was it 2009, 2000? What year did 94.1 go to a sports format? Go from a music format to a sports sports radio format. 2009, 10, 12, or 11? 11, because I did the first show. Right. First show. September 2nd, 2011. How about that? You are four. You're in stereo. I'm I'm the only one that did the first show on WIP AM and FM. Obviously, yeah, yeah, and awesome. probably any other station. You're four and I've four. probably done more sports talk shows than anybody in I think the country. Seven thousand, it says on the website. Yeah, but guess what? It's close to eight thousand now. That was done years a ago. a long time ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Now it's eight thousand one. Eight thousand. Right here, our podcast. <laughs> this doesn't okay. count. All right, All where, right where did Larry Boa go to college? Do you know off the top of your head? I can give you. I'm going to give you multiple choice. Right, give me the multiple choice. All right, Pomona College, Sacramento, Sacramento City College, Occidental College. Fresno City Community College. I want to say Sacramento. Sacramento City College is five for five. You're on a roll. Look at this guy. All right. We haven't really talked much about the Flyers. Uh, who has the Flyers record for most goals in a season with 61? Is it Tim Kerr, Mark Recchi, Reggie Leach, or John LeClaire? Tim Kerr, Mark Recchi, Reggie Leach, or John Boy. LeClaire? 61. Still the record for most goals in a season. You know... I want to say Tim Kerr, but I don't think I'm right. Okay. I want to say Tim Kerr. Is that your answer? Yeah. Reggie Leach, who was my favorite player back then, yeah. uh, did it in 75-76 season. And how All many right. did he have? 61. Tim oh, Kerr. it's 61. Tim Kerr t- had 59, I think. Oh, okay. He was Ooh. second. Yeah. All right. All right. That's all right. You, you, you just get one of these next two. Uh, you better get this one because the eighth one is pretty obscure. Which Eagles, number seven, which Eagles receiver has the most career touchdowns as an Eagle with 79? So, which Eagles receiver has the most career touchdowns as an Eagle with 79? Is it Pete Retzlaff, Mike Quick, Tommy McDonald, or Harold Carmichael? You can use Tom Burgoyne as a lifeline because he hasn't heard these this quiz. You know what? I, I, I it's, it's down to two. I've got it down to two. Um, okay. And who's it down to? Uh, Carmichael and Quick. Okay. Um, you are I, correct, by the way. So yeah. now, now you have a 50-50 chance right. of getting it. I'll just go with quick. <laughs> I, I was going Carmichael. It was, it, you should have used his lifeline. Yeah. Oh, See, yeah. now, you, now you've got the obscure question to, to win the T-shirt here. It's five of the first five. I should get the... You know. I know. You're, right, you're stumbling down the stretch here like, the, like the Eagles. Well, you're, you know what? It's just... Uh, See, Quick has more career receptions. Yeah, yeah, you know. would think they threw the ball a little bit more then, but uh, Harold was yeah. the man. Yeah, he, well, he's, he was six, the only guy on the team. Six foot nine. Scoring, he was yeah. really the only guy on the team scoring touchdowns right, in that yeah. era, you know? 
Here, you can use the lifeline here if you want. Okay. You're called the king, soon to be called the doctor, right? Yep. When do we have to start calling you Dr. Eskin? May 3rd is when I got my idea. But don't, well, we've already said it, but the college hasn't announced it yet. But, All right, we won't. Well, yeah, we'll just be on the podcast. It's a podcast. Wait, do we have to release this on May 4th? <laughs> All right. You're called the king. Henry VIII had six wives. Which cause of death was not attributed to at least one of his wives? Okay. <laughs> what? I told you it was going to be obscure. That is really so obscure. You're called the king. So Henry VIII had six wives. Which cause of death was not attributed to at least one of his wives? <laughs> All right. So, so three of these causes of death killed. Yeah, uh, killed one of his wives. One of his wives, and except one did for not. one. Okay. Okay. Ready? A. Trampled by a horse. B. Complications from giving birth. C, beheading. Wait, wait, wait. Complications from giving birth. Yeah, like yes. a kid. They died like in childbirth. Like in, giving, she died during childbirth. She died giving ch childbirth. Oh, oh, she died. She did. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah, 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 yeah. she died. Right, it's not a Yogi Bear situation where you said you should always go to someone's funeral because you want them to come to yours. Yeah, right. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, a Yogi okay. Bear situation. All right, give me All right so hold on. <laughs> yeah, so uh, not attributed to at least one of his wives. So trampled by a horse, complications from giving birth, if that makes it more clear, uh, beheading. I think we know that's one of them. Right? Anne Boleyn. Uh, and cancer. So which one was not? Trampled by a horse, complications was from not. giving birth, was beheading, not. and died of cancer. So uh, one of them was not uh, a cause. Tom, do you have a, do you have a guess? I have in a your guess. Head? Yeah. All right, Howard. It's, like, do it's I have thing. to take his answer? You can. No, no you can, you can, you can okay, what, solicit what, his I, opinion. I was going to say cancer. I was going to say cancer, too. Trampled by a horse. <laughs> Well, back in the oh, old was days. Oh, not, was not. Yeah, not. Not, not tripped oh, by a horse. Nobody yeah, got tripped I, by a see, horse. It's a, yeah, I, <sighs> I, I, I didn't understand that. I don't know. Back in the old enough. days, weren't they? No, I could see a horse a accident. Was, yeah. I guess you could. Yeah. yeah I could. Uh, but, All right. Ah, well. Ah, whatever. Whatever. You get, you get the shirt. Let's give Howard the shirt. Since anyway. anyway. you're soon to be a doctor, we're going to give you the shirt. Howard, know this was a busy day for you. You had the press conference. Thanks for taking time and uh, being our guest. You know what? When I do a podcast with two nitwits, go ahead. Then it's just it's a special day. It's magical. Are we nitwits? Nitwits or geniuses? Well, I haven't gotten to this level. See, you're either a nitwit, a moron, or a dope. You're right. not dope level. Okay. You're not a more. You're not morons. This is good, you right? Could be nitwits with that last question. <laughs> well, every time you see me, Howard, you're always whether um with my friend the fanatic or yeah. me. It's always get a job. Like you don't really think I work for a living. It's always get a job. But now, I mean, do you see? I'm I'm I've taken notes. I'm doing a podcast. Is it is this it's, considered a job? No. Did I? <laughs> never worked. A day I haven't in your actually. Life. Yeah. All right. Let's John not, hasn't either. No, so. John hasn't done it. As thing. I said, I'm the uh, highest ranked nobody, uh, uh, according to Bonnie Strang. You're higher than that. Uh, nobody. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Howard. Thanks again for uh, coming on. Really hey, appreciate it. It's my it. pleasure to talk to two uh, wonderful geniuses. Beautiful. All right. On that note, thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time on Philly's Backstage.